The following is message number four of a Southeast College Conference. The title of the conference is The Supreme Preciousness of Christ in First and Second Peter. I was reflecting on last night's meeting and hearing Daniel's good review of the contents of last night's meeting. I just was uh, filled with renewed appreciation and love for the Lord. Isn't he so sweet? That's why I love Him. That's why I treasure Him. And that's why I've given my all and my life to Him. This morning, Brother Dennis had asked me to um, reiterate something that Daniel, uh, the, the very last point that he had mentioned, this matter of the covenant. You know how we talked about in the first meeting that your knowledge of something will determine how much you value it? Well, perhaps I more so than most people here have the ability to appreciate the uh, ramifications or the significance of a covenant because a covenant is something legal and because of my background I... uh, I have some certain amount of understanding regarding covenants, contracts, agreements that makes me really, really appreciate this word. And so I'm not going to give a legal course this morning, but I'd like to speak a little something, hopefully in layman's terms, that you can understand to impart that kind of appreciation to you regarding this matter of the covenant. Because if you really see what a covenant is, what a testament is, I think you'll really begin to appreciate these verses in Hebrews. You know, a covenant, simply put, is an agreement. And if you actually look in Hebrews 9, 16, footnote 1, I mean, I I appreciate how accurate the ministry is. Even I myself was not that clear. And when Brother... Dennis had mentioned that maybe it should be myself who would say something about this covenant. I, I actually had to go online and refresh um, my recollection of what a covenant, what agreement, what constitute, what's the major components of all these things are. Thank, thank goodness for Wikipedia. But actually, a covenant is simply put in agreement. And this agreement can contain things. The most common thing that it contains is promises. If I have an agreement with you to mow your lawn, that means I'm promising you that I'm going to mow your lawn. And not only is there a meeting of the minds, an agreement, but a covenant that contains promises is not binding until something is paid. Uh, the legal term for this is consideration, but it's, in layman's terms, it's just you have to pay something. Now, that payment could be in, current, in money. So if I pay you to mow my lawn, then you're bound to mow my lawn. It could be in action. If you promise me to, to pay me, if I mow your lawn and I go and mow your lawn, 
then you're bound to pay me. Or it could be another promise. So an agreement, in order for us to have a binding agreement, if you promise me to pay me, and I exchange that for a promise to mow your lawn, we've got a binding agreement. Okay, so the important thing is that in order for it to be binding, a payment has to be made. So we have this covenant. And this covenant, if a price is paid, then that covenant is binding. Okay, table that for a second. Let's talk about testament. Testament is actually a special kind of covenant. Covenant is more broad in general. Testament is really an agreement in a certain context. The context of what do you do with someone's estate, his possessions, upon death. So a testament is, you can consider it as very close. And actually, if you look at the footnote, um, covenant and testament, in the, in the Greek, it's the same word. They're very closely related. Just one is in relation to death, one is more general. Well, a testament, in order for a testament to be triggered, before that testament can, the executor, who is the person who's responsible, he has a fiduciary duty to carry out all the things in that testament, that testament, what triggers that testament is there has to be a death. The death of the person who made that testament. Actually, you all know this. It's actually, testament is a fancy word for a will, right? That's why they call, the official title of a will is last will and testament. So, you know, you all know what it was. So, these concepts are not difficult. You understand them. You already know what they are. In order for a covenant to be binding, you need a payment. And in order for a testament to be triggered, for lack of a better word, you need a death. Okay. Keep those two things in mind. What is the covenant and testament? What is the covenant spoken of in the Bible? Well, it's quoted in Hebrews, but the source is in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31 31 through 34. And I'm just going to read it to you, okay? Covenant. Indeed, days are coming, declares Jehovah, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel. A new covenant with the house of Israel. And moving on to verse 32. And this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after these days, declares Jehovah. Number one. I will put my law within them and write it upon their hearts. That's a promise. Number two, I will be their God and they will be my people. Another promise. Number three, and they will no longer teach each man, but all of them will know me from the little one among them even to the great one among them. And number four, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Another promise. So this is the covenant containing promises. But it was only promises. It was non-binding at that point in time. Then the Lord, you all know the story, came, became a man, Divinity, mingled with humanity, lived the perfect human life. And when he died on the cross, 
He shed his blood, and that blood was that payment, that price. That act of dying on the cross made that covenant binding. Okay, I can tell by your reaction that maybe I, my legal course was not adequate. <laughs> let, me under, let me go back to the covenant. You know, when you have a covenant, now just kind of in the metaphor, um, if it's binding... If it's non-binding, then, you know, I can't do much. It's non-binding. He can walk, James here can walk away. I'm like, but you promised. I can appeal to his ethic. I can appeal to his morality. I can appeal to his love. But, but that's pretty much all I can do. Okay. If it's binding, and I made that contract under the laws of the United States of America... I can bring the full force and effect of that law. Theoretically, I can bring the entire United States Army, the Navy, the Armed Forces, the Air Forces, the President, the Judicial System, anything under the law, I can bring that bear to, down on James. James, you need to mow my lawn! <laughs> now that's power. That's authority. That's powerful. He's got to do it. He has to do it. He has no choice. That's what it means to be binding. You're not bound by ethics. You're not bound by commitment. You're bound by righteousness. Okay. Let's go away from the metaphor. In order for that covenant to be... When that blood was shed, you don't understand the enormity of that event. When that blood was shed, God was bound. Forget about the United States of America. He wasn't bound by the United States of America. He was bound by his very self, his nature. According to Psalms 89, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. If he violates that covenant, this whole universe would be turned upside down. His throne would be jeopardized. He, he, he would have no right anymore. He would cease, listen to this, he would cease being God. That's how serious. Because God is righteous. And if he acted unrighteously, he'd be acting in contrary to his very nature. That's how powerful and binding. Okay, so what does that mean? When he made these four promises, I will put my law within them and write it upon their hearts. That's binding. That means, Lord, I want you to come in as a spirit and write yourself on my heart. If you pray that prayer, he's bound to answer that prayer. Okay. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. He will, he's bound to obey. He has no choice. God, despite how he, the fact that he's almighty, how he's all-powerful, omniscient, on, omni, omnipotent, uh, what's the word? Omnipotent. He's bound. Brothers and sisters, when you take the blood... I just want to give you an appreciation 
for taking the blood. It's not a light thing. When you say, Lord, forgive me for this. Lord, I confess this. He has no choice but to forget it. Why? Because he said, I will remember your sins no more. Brothers and sisters, this is wonderful. This is powerful. Okay, testament. Uh, you know, the, when Brother Dennis was uh, dis- describing the will and testament, I just, for some reason, I just had this uh, picture that came in mind of, of, and you might have seen it in popular media, uh, media um, is, anyways, I actually am not a trust in the state attorney, so I, I don't know if this is actually what happens, but what I had envisioned was that, you know, there's a room full of people wearing, you know, black, they're still in mourning, the, the family members, maybe the rich a great aunt died, and, and they're around the table, and usually the executor, who is uh, typically a, an attorney or some, some sort of, you know, not necessarily an attorney, but oftentimes it's an attorney, he'll stand up and he'll unseal the, the will, and he opens it up, and everyone's kind of, you know, they're in mourning, but at the same time, they're kind of, you know, underneath the table, they're like waiting to see what's in the will. They don't know what's in the will. What did she leave me? And so the attorney opens up the will to Alfonso. I give my house. And Alfonso's like, yes. To Brandon, I give my yacht. Brandon's like, oh, thank you. To John, I give my favorite poodle. John storms out of the room. And everything else I give to this charity. If we were in that situation, this is how it would go. The Lord, who's the executor, opens up the word. To Alfonso, everything. To Brandon, everything. Even to John, everything. Brothers and sisters, when you have Christ, you have everything. Isn't that wonderful? We were given Every positive, uh, every positive thing possible in the universe be, when we were given Christ. Yeah. Hallelujah! Yeah. We can be happy in headers. Just enjoying everything that Christ is. Um, sometimes we're like, uh, you know, John. The precious poodle or something. We don't realize that the precious poodle, I don't know with how precious it is. Maybe the poodle is not the right analogy, but perhaps there's something about the poodle. The poodle has under his, um, maybe I'm getting too much into analogy, but on his collar he has a, a key, and the key can unlock the safe that has everything. <laughs> We're kind of like that. We just don't appreciate what it is that we've been left. We despise 
But brothers and sisters, make no mistake, I'm, I'm just going to tell you in plain English, what God left you, what Christ left you, was everything. Not only did He leave you everything, He handed you an insurance policy. He's the surety of the new covenant. He's sure. He's going to promise you, insure, if you, don't, if you can't collect, go to Him, and He'll make you whole. He's the bondsman. This is all in the footnote. He's the bondsman. He, he's the one, He's the escrow agent. He's everything. He's the mediator. He's the executor, I already mentioned. So, in God's New Testament economy, in His new covenant, Christ is everything. He has done everything. He is everything. He's given us everything. Now we just need to enjoy Him. We have not only the ability to enjoy Him, but because that that covenant is binding, we have the right to enjoy Him. Blessed are those who wash their robes, for they have right to the tree of life. If we participate, partake of God's judicial redemption, we have the right to participate in God's organic salvation. What you need to do in order to avail yourself of that right is by taking the blood. The overcomers are simply those, are not those who are super Christians. The overcomers are not those who are better than, for for whatever reason, better than others. But the overcomers are those who appreciate, who properly appreciate the value of Christ's blood. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb. Okay. I just really appreciate Hebrews. I'm just going to kind of wrap up this segment with uh, quoting from Hebrews. It says, you know, and it just, it's, it's actually <laughs> the best legal textbook is the Bible. Listen to Hebrews 9.16. For where there is a testament, the death of him who made the testament must of necessity be established. In other words, death has to occur. Since it never has force when he who made the testament is living. If Christ did not shed his blood, if he did not die for us, then we wouldn't, we would be, we, we may be um, heirs, but our right has not been vested. You know, these are all legal terms. But we may be ones who have been stated in the will, but it's possible that someone can write you out of the will. You know, sometimes you hear, oh, well, I'm going to write you out of my will. You know, it's like this, this, this threat that, well, He can't do that once he dies, right? Well, Christ died, and you can't be written out of his will. So you have the right to inherit all that he is. Okay, so with that brief word, that's actually a very good segue into this morning's portion. Um, If you can turn to your outlines. I think we're at Romans 6. God has allotted to all the believers equally precious faith. Can we, re- can we read that together? God has allotted to all the believers equally precious faith. Why is it a good segue? Because the allotted, this term allotted, implies an inheritance. It's been allotted to you. In a will, you allot certain portions of your possessions to one person, certain portion 
of your possessions to another person. So in this case, God has allotted to all the believers equally precious faith. And this comes from 2 Peter 1.1. Listen to this. Simon Peter, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have been allotted faith equally precious as ours in the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So we've been allotted something. What have we been allotted? It actually doesn't say we've been allotted Christ. It says we've been allotted faith. What is faith? What is faith? I didn't have to look it up in Wikipedia because if you look at Hebrews 11.1, it gives you the best definition of faith. Here's here's Hebrews 11.1's definition of faith. Faith is the substantiation of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. Now, don't get confused by you know, these big words, substantiation, conviction. I'm going to break it down for you. But faith, let me just repeat it. Faith is the substantiation of the things hoped for and the conviction of the things not seen. It's not, a, it's not a, uh, the, the traditional uh, definition of conviction. And I'll, 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 let, me, let, me, let me just read you the dictionary definitions of substantiation and conviction, okay? Substantiation means to give substance or form to, to establish as true or competent, to support a claim with facts, to prove or affirm the existence of something. That's substantiation. Faith is a substantiation of things hoped for, to prove or affirm the existence of the things hoped for. Okay? Conviction. The conviction of things not seen. What is the definition of conviction? It's not like, you know, a convict or convicting someone in court. That's the primary definition. This is an alternative definition if you look it up in the dictionary. It says, the act of convincing a person or compelling the omission of a truth. The state of strong belief. He has strong convictions about something, right? Okay, listen to this one. A feeling of certainty about something. Okay, so if these definitions I think are very helpful because when you listen, when you have these definitions in mind, the convictions of things not seen, you don't see them, but you're con- you have the conviction that they exist. You have the conviction that, that they're there. You may not see it, but no one can tell you that it doesn't exist. You have the conviction that it's there. Okay? So that's what faith is. It's the substantiation of the things hoped for. It's the conviction of the things not seen. And faith is not something that originates from us. Hebrews 12.2 says, He is the author of our faith, meaning he's the originator of our faith. Faith comes from Christ. Actually, we'll find out that faith is Christ. When you see Christ and you have the appreciation of Christ, the appreciation, that response with you, that's faith. Okay. Burley gives a very good illustration of this in the life study of Second um, Peter. And um, he uses the the, the, the uh, a camera 
as, uh, as the illustration. We're like a camera. There's a scenery out there. Beautiful scenery. Christ is the scenery. But that scenery, at least to the camera, if the camera could talk, is just objective. It's not real to the camera. In a sense, especially if that uh, camera, the lens is is on, or the the cover, the the camera cover, the lens cover, whatever they call it, if it's on, if it's veiled, right? You can tell someone that there's this beautiful scenery out there, but or tell the camera, but the camera won't believe it. Why? Because it can't see it. It, it, it's, it's, he may acknowledge, mentally assent to the existence of it, but it's not really that real to him. Only when you remove that lens cap and the light comes in, the light in this case is the spirit, and uh, that scenery then is transferred onto the film of the camera. Only then does that scenery, which is Christ, become real to the camera. Real, if, if the camera could talk. And so that scenery, in a sense, you can say it, it's, it's faith, but it's more objective faith. You know, like on campus, you say, well, what's your statement of faith? That, that's, that's an objective faith. We have these ten items of our faith. These are objective faith. But it's not really that real to us until we have the veils taken away, the light, the spirit comes, and he, all the object, objective faith is now made subjective to us. Okay, again, sometimes describing an illustration, picture is worth more than a thousand words. So I happen to have a camera here. And I can tell this camera, camera, there's Christ. Really, you all are Christ, right? When I, when I stand up here, what I see is not just a motley crew of college students, serving ones, and I see Christ. It's a beautiful sight. Camera, there's Christ. Camera say, oh, okay, yeah, sorry, don't see it. Well, First thing that we have to do is open the lens cap. Open your being. Camera, you just say, I open my being. (laughs) And the light has to come in, but something has to happen. Listen. Well. It's in the wrong mode. Okay, listen. Did you hear that? Okay, we have to be a little bit quiet. Listen. Did you hear that? What did you hear? There has to be a click. Brothers and sisters, we were here this weekend. It's been a wonderful, you know... Sorry, I, I, I've been having a really good time here. <laughs> I enjoy being with you young, young, young people. I really do. And this weekend, we, we, we had some marvelous meetings. And, and there's some hearing, right? And, and, and maybe, initially, you know, you, you could hear our words, but 
wasn't doing anything for you, right? But, but thank the Lord by his mercy and grace, you stayed here. And you kept listening. And you kept listening. And finally, I don't know, maybe it was last night. Maybe it was yesterday morning. Maybe it happened the very first night. There was a click. There was a click within your being. Brothers and sisters, that click. That click was faith being activated. That click was Christ as the object of faith coming in to be your subject of faith. Okay, brothers and sisters, this faith is the faith that has been allotted to you. Um, I have another camera at home. It's, uh, this is the, just a small Canon Elf. It's good for travel. There's another one that's heavier, bigger. Um, but the thing is, you know, here, it, it's not like, you know, you're going, okay, you know, and you wait a little while. That camera, I, I like it because it's one of those ones that where it just, you know, you know. That's what we need to be like with Christ. Is that as he's moving, as, he's, as the Spirit is, 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 is brooding, as, as, as the Lord is speaking, you just... It, it's, well, okay, actually, this camera has something actually quite nice. It doesn't have a click, but guess what I'm doing? We're making a movie here this weekend. Don't you feel like this weekend the skies have been open and we're watching this heavenly video? We're making a heavenly video. Forget about movies. We're our own producer. Well, no, we're not a producer. We have Christ as the ultimate producer. And he's producing the new Jerusalem. Hallelujah! We have the divine... Movie within our beings. And we just need to be open to just enjoy. Go to the movies. Not that movies. We don't need atonement. We just need judicial redemption. Organic salvation. Who needs Oscars when you have Christ? Okay. Let's go on to, let's read Roman 8, uh, capital A, together. Just as the children of Israel were allotted a piece of the good land. God has allotted Christ to us. Making our regenerated spirit. Okay, this, this allotted, what Peter was actually referencing here when he said allotted faith, he was actually referring to the, the background is the children of Israel. Uh, they were, you know, they, they were redeemed out of uh, Egypt, right? And they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And then, but the goal wasn't to remain in the wilderness. The goal was to bring them into the good land, right? And so... So, so, so that was the destination, is to be brought into the good land. And this good land was, was, was rich to the uttermost. It's, it's transcendent. It, was, it, it, you know, it had mountains and valleys and river. Uh, it had all, you know, all sorts of... It was flowing with milk and honey. Um, and, uh, and so when, when the Lord instructed J- Joshua to take the people into the good land, after they conquered the good land, 
he then sat them down and said, okay, there's 12 tribes. Every tribe is going to be allotted a certain portion of this good land. Okay? Now, this good land, as we all know, is, uh, or maybe you don't know, so I'm just going to say for the, for, the, for the first time maybe you're hearing this, the good land is a type, uh, a metaphor, or a, or a symbol, or a, a, a picture of Christ. He's, 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 he's our good land. He's our real Canaan. Um, and, and how you see this is, 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 is amazing. All the apostles knew this, and they refer to the Apostle Paul in Colossians. He, he talks about how, you know, giving thanks to the Father, we give thanks to the Father who has qualified us for a share of the allotted portion of the saints in the light. You know, he uses the word allotted again, again referencing the, the, the children of Israel. And in fact, in Colossians 2, he talks about that as therefore as you have received the Christ, right, walk in him. Well, that was an allusion to uh, Moses in Deuteron- Deuteronomy. He told the children of Israel, um, I, I have it written down here. He, he said, he told the children of Israel, you know, go. He, Moses never got into the good land, but he, he told the children of Israel, go into the good land. And this is his words. He said, every place on which the sole of your feet treads will be yours. Meaning that in order to possess the land, they have to walk the land. Every place where the sole of their feet treads, that land will be yours. And so it it wasn't just that it is, this is a very important point, that it's not just that this good land was given to the children of Israel, but they also had to possess it. Every place that you, the sole of your feet treads, it will be yours. Okay. And then the Apostle Paul writes it, and as therefore you have received the Christ, it's been given to you, but that there's not good enough just to receive it. Walk in him. Walk Christ. Explore Christ. Possess Christ. Okay, so, so it's very clear in the New Testament that, that the, the land is a type of Christ. Well, we're, we're talking about faith. Here, why are we talking about possessing Christ? It's because um, Christ, he's the reality of everything. But in a sense, it's kind of doctrinal. If I told you to possess Christ, you, you may not know what I'm talking about, at least from an experiential standpoint. But faith, the, the Apostle uh, Peter used the word, we've been allotted faith, because he comes from a very experiential background. And that while we possess Christ, it's doctrinally true, it's more subjective to say we possess, we've received, we've been allotted faith. And so, the two are the same. Christ is faith, faith is Christ. We've been allotted faith. Okay, let's read uh, B, and I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up with this point. Have the same precious faith in quality, but the quantity of faith If you look at Second Peter 1, 1, it says that it's not just that we have been a lot of faith, 
but that this lot of faith is equally precious as ours, right? Uh, equally. That's what, and why we're covering this verse is because it's precious. And this conference is on the preciousness of Christ. So this faith that we've been allotted, is, which is just Christ, is equally precious. Well, what does that mean as ours? That means our faith, this subjective substantiation, substantiating ability, that what we've subjectively realized of Christ, that faith is equally precious as the apostles' faith. Isn't that something? In God's eyes, our faith, you know, we think that the apostles are, and then we're, you know, so low. But our faith is equally precious as the apostles' faith. It's, it's equal, not in quantity. There is a difference. But it's equal in quality. Meaning, in quality, the faith that was the apostles' Paul's is as precious as your faith. What is your name, brother? Fran- Francisco. Your faith is as precious as the Apostle Paul's, or the Apostle Peter's faith, right? Okay. But, it's not exactly the same. This is kind of like when the children of Israel went into the good land. Judah and Benjamin both got good, the good land. Same in quality. The good land is a good land. But Judah got a much larger portion than Benjamin. Right? And so, it's the same in quality. Maybe not the same in quantity, though. Well, there's a very encouraging point to this. And that is, we read it. It says, we all have the same precious faith in quality, but the quantity of faith that we have depends on something. It depends upon how much we contact the living God so that we may have Him increased in us. We can't do anything about the quality of our faith, but it's okay. There's nothing to be done. It's equally precious. But we have a hand in the quantity of faith that we have. Um, In the crystallization studies of Romans... uh, Brother Lee brings this out. He, he actually spends five chapters going over, covering this matter of faith. I mean, 26 points. Literally, he, the alphas, the A all the way through Z on faith. It's, 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 a, it's amazing. He spoke it on the Wednesday night ministry meeting. The, the reason why I know is I was in the training at the time. And I didn't have the appreciation that I do now of, of, the, of, of this exposition of faith, but basically he gave us literally the A to Z about faith, okay? So anything you need to know about faith, you just refer to those uh, messages, and in those messages is interesting that he distinguishes faith. He said in Romans ten seventeen, where it talks about faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ, I think some of you might be familiar with that verse, that was our initial faith. He refers to that as our initial faith. How do we all get saved? How do we initially believe? Well, we must have heard the word of Christ through maybe someone preaching the gospel to us. Maybe we're reading the word or something. But we must have heard something of the word of Christ. And that, there was an appreciation, and that was our initial faith. But he says, faith has a second stage. And he, in fact, he said, reading the word 
does not help you much in the second phase. It says, the second phase, it's actually quite, quite good. It talks about linking faith and all sorts of things. But, but he said, kind of to break it down for you, the, this faith, the second stage of faith, how you get this faith is not through the hearing of the word of Christ. That's the initial phase. But how you get the faith in the second stage is through contacting God. And the nice thing about this faith is that the more con- you contact God, the more you contact God as Christ, the more you're infused with faith, and the more faith you'll get. So that your faith can increase. So brothers and sisters, we need the Word of God. That's kind of where we receive everything initially. But it's not just enough. That's why it's not good enough just to read the Bible. We actually have to take what we read in the Bible and go to the Lord. And by going to the Lord, we can increase the quantity of faith. So listen to this. The lot of faith is equally precious as ours. It's equally precious already in quality. Don't get fooled into thinking that, oh, I've been allotted equally precious faith. Yeah, but it's puny. This brother, he's got a lot more faith than me, so there's nothing I can do about it. No, there's something that you can do about it. God requires your cooperation. Not only have you received the Christ, you need to go and possess the Christ. And so how do you possess the Christ? You contact God. The more you contact God, the more you say, Lord Jesus, the more faith you have. The more you say, I love you, Lord, the more faith you have. The more you go over the word. You, look, all these promises. You just say, what? I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Amen. More faith. Whether it's calling on the Lord, praying, or pray reading. The more you do it, the more faith you'll have. So, brothers and sisters, I don't know. I hope this is um, something fresh to you. That not only is our faith equally precious in quality, Quality. It is already. But we can increase the amount of quantity. And that depends on our contact, contacting God as a spirit. So I'm just going to leave you with three points that summarizes what I just spoke. The first point is that we have the right to enjoy our inheritance because we have been allotted faith. It's binding contractually. Full force and effect. Okay. Number two. This faith that we've been allotted is equally precious. Equally precious in quality. Even as the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul. Number three. Even though it may not be equally equal in quantity, our faith can grow. And it all depends on our contacting the Lord. If you have these three points, then you walk away with everything that I wanted to say. We have the right, so exercise your right. This is, you know, there, there are many rights. That, that, that everyone is requiring you know, the, 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 the 
requiring or, or, or what you know the freedom, the right of religion, or right of speech, or freedom of speech, all sorts of rights. Well, this is the one right that you need to exercise. You have the right to the tree of life, and that you have the right to enjoy your allotted faith. And not only do you have the right, this faith is equally precious in quality, and the quantity depends on your contacting the Lord. May the Lord cause us to appreciate the equally precious faith that we have received. Why don't we turn to our hymnals and sing 1187. Your ministry, O Lord, how excellent it is. A better covenant and better promises enacted on a better law. Of such, you are an executor.
review and understanding in this brief law review um, <clears throat> to, uh, I think, understand the impact and the force of something that is legal and binding. <clears throat> so if you study law, don't study litigation. Study contractual law. <clears throat> so you can understand uh, the book of Hebrews. You know, Paul, uh, as the probably the author of Hebrews, if you want to uh, <clears throat> study this, the book of Hebrews, especially the book of Romans, is the best book to study. Our brother Lee said one time that <clears throat> Paul was really the best attorney, that he could argue from the prosecution or defense and win both <laughs> simultaneously. <laughs> uh, because you just read, you get into the book of Romans and you will see uh, <clears throat> the matter of righteousness, the matter of holiness, the matter of glory. Uh, that you, but you will see, anyway, the book of Hebrews also uh, probably most likely was written by Paul. And you can see this matter of the binding contract. <clears throat> I appreciate what Mark said, that our God is bound to forgive us. If he does not forgive us, then the unrighteousness is on his side. And the entire universe will testify against God that he is unrighteous. Because the testator, which is God himself, which is the Lord himself, has already died. And the contract is now legal and enforceable. <clears throat> so based upon God's righteousness, <clears throat> he must forgive us according to his new covenant. Don't allow your feelings to be greater of a force than God's contract. God's covenant and God's <clears throat> bequests are greater than our feelings. <clears throat> so when he says that he will be propitious to our unrighteousness, not only to forgive, but also to forget. Don't remind him. We try to remind him. Cynthia, you do that. So do I. We try to remind God. I just want to make sure, God, that you understand that, you know, just in case you didn't know, please forgive me. And Lord, two days later, and Lord, I just want to remind you of that. And the Lord says, what? Remind me of what? I've already forgotten it. This is really the case. God has a heavenly amnesia when it comes to sins. But we have a we have a heavenly memory, not a heavenly, we have an earthly memory that remembers all these things. This is an insult <clears throat> to God, right? <clears throat> uh, anyway, I just appreciate this kind of fellowship to see <clears throat> that from the side of God's heart, it is a matter of love. But from the side of God's nature, it is a matter of righteousness. And there is no contradiction between both. Right? God has done something according to his righteousness and according to his nature right? <clears throat> that he could legally, righteously, <clears throat> without contradiction, forgive us of all our sins. That we could what? Not that we could just be forgiven people, but we could be those who have washed our robes to exercise our divine right to participate in God's divine divinity, <clears throat> which is partaking of the divine nature. <clears throat> As Mark was saying, I think especially in Southern California, there's a lot of demand of the exercise of rights. <clears throat> I think sometimes in California, 
I think animals, dogs and whales, have more rights than human beings sometimes. You know, there's, I'm sure it's the same way in a lot of metropolitan areas, but especially in Southern California, with land being so scarce, uh, also trees being scarce there, <clears throat> uh, any kind of vacant land, it's hard for a developer to come in there. Why? Because there's a small little mouse that lives there. Uh, you know, I, I like mice too, but not too many of them. Small little mouse there that is generic to that, or it's just specific to that area, and if you take away that, that habitat, <clears throat> they may die off. So there's a whole exercise of mouse rights. And <clears throat> you see this land area there <clears throat> that's all unoccupied. It's all vacant. Why? Because of that little mouse. So because that little mouse cannot exercise its own right, Others have exercised the right for it. Well, I like vacant land too. But my point is <clears throat> that in our situation, we have been forgiven. But we don't stop there. Now we go on to participate in our God-given right. This morning, exercise your right. Amen. That means exercise our spirit, exercise our spirit of faith. Right? To participate in God's divinity. This is why we are partakers of the divine nature. This is our divine right. How about we say this morning together, Lord, I exercise my divine right. Lord, I exercise my divine right to participate in your divinity. Do you mean it? How about brothers? Stand up and say that together. <clears throat> Lord, I exercise my divine right to participate in your divinity. Sisters. To participate in your divinity when I feel like it, when I'm in the mood, when the meeting's going on. No. Right away when you wake up tomorrow morning. Monday morning. Praise the Lord. That's a good way to start. I exercise my right Amen. to participate in God's divinity. Amen. Well, if you start off that way, right? <clears throat> you start off that way, your whole day will be different. Don't get up and moan and do this. <clears throat> Just get up and exercise your right to participate in God's divinity. <clears throat> okay. How about we go to Roman numeral 7? We'll just include... We will give you an adequate time amount, amount of time uh, this morning to share something. So just review, just consider uh, the whole weekend and just share something. Uh, <clears throat> Brother Vern said that it would be good to encourage, especially those of you who have not spoken, right, to speak first. That's okay. I know we all know you're scared and you're doing this, but that's okay. Exercise your right. Amen. Everyone will encourage you. No one will throw something at you, we guarantee you. <clears throat> You just, we just encourage you just to stand up and speak. Actually, we need your portion. We need your portion of Christ. When you bring the whole, when you bring all the, the, the food together, sometimes there's a little salt, there's a little pepper. You may be the salt. You may be the pepper. I don't have that much. 
but you just made, you just may add something to this feast. Don't worry about it. You all have a portion of Christ. Amen. Exercise your right, not only to enjoy it, but also to share it with us, Amen. that we could all enjoy the feast. <clears throat> so I hope that, especially those of you who have not, those of you who have spoken already, give the others the opportunity to speak first, okay? <clears throat> you two brothers, you haven't spoken yet, huh, in the meetings? How about you two? You haven't spoken yet? Both, don't look at him. I'm looking at you. <laughs> well, anyway, if you'd like to, just exercise your right uh, <clears throat> to speak. Okay. You know, this is the way to do it. You know, this is, okay, I better not get on that. Okay. The, how about Roman number 7? How about we read that together? The precious proving of our faith is by various trials that come through... How about we read A and B together? B, the believers who live This Roman numeral speaks about not the precious faith, which was the last Roman numeral, but the precious proving of our faith. This means... That as a believer, we should not just expect a smooth sailing life. There will be trials. We say that honestly, and we say that frankly. This is not our word, this is the Bible's word. And you look at all the seeking believers in the history of the church, and so many went through so many things. What reason? We have to tell you at the very beginning that God's heart is always good towards us. Regardless, regardless of what the situation is. We think, how can this happen to me in the Lord's recovery? How can this happen to somebody else in the church life? That is not our position we are not God. But we have to believe God's heart is always good towards us. We don't understand it in this age. But one day when we meet the Lord face to face, we will prostrate and we will understand that. But we have to believe. We have to believe that the Lord is behind the scene in everything. Even the apparent negative things. Sometimes... The Lord's silence is his answer to us. We pray, we pray, we pray. We don't know. It should be that this brother, it should be that this sister should still remain on the earth. They're so useful in the Lord's hands. Yet the Lord will take them. Why? We don't know why. We don't know why. But we have to believe in the Lord. We are not immune because we're in the church life. We're not immune from all the things that affect common humanity. We're just not immune to that. <clears throat> things happen. The difference is that when something happens to us, 
we learn, we can gain Christ. That is the difference. Today, there's suffering in human society. This is the portion of humanity. But the result of the suffering of humanity is bitterness and blame, right? <clears throat> this is why the older a person gets without Christ, the more bitter that one becomes. Those who are involved in geriatric care can tell you, right? <clears throat> That's why it is so good to see an older brother and sister in the Lord. You don't get the sense of bitterness. You get the sense of fragrance, the fragrance of Christ. They have also passed through the fiery trials. But what has happened is their faith, the proving of their faith, has become like gold and like silver. They've passed through something. <clears throat> this is why it's so good to have the older ones in the church life. We as the older ones, we shouldn't exercise our opinions. We have to keep our opinions under the cross. But we as younger ones, you as younger ones, should not despise or neglect the older ones. Don't be so proud that you can make it. Don't be so proud that <clears throat> you can walk the pathway by yourself. Sometimes we need the older ones to fellowship with. They have passed through certain things. It is just a comfort to have older ones in the church life, right? It is really a comfort. <clears throat> the churches with older ones, especially the experienced ones, the mature ones, are very, very rich. We should take advantage of fellowship <clears throat> uh, with some of these ones. <clears throat> to us as older ones, we have to keep our opinions down, right? <clears throat> We have to lead everyone to Christ. But at the same time, <clears throat> we shouldn't be, there should not be a, a great disconnect between us and the older saints. We should know all the older saints. <clears throat> About 10 years ago, I don't know, maybe 12 years ago, <clears throat> when my daughters were in junior high, high school, <clears throat> that area, um, we, you know, Anaheim is filled with older sisters, especially widows. And we asked, we told uh, the young sisters to host a dinner for all these older ones. And they prepared a nice dinner. I think they dressed in aprons or something. <clears throat> a beautiful dinner, a very nice, lovely dinner for them. And they had all the sis older sisters there with name cards and everything. <clears throat> And all they wanted to do, these young sisters, was just open to these older sisters. Please share with us your experience of Christ. Well, they did that. It was so sweet. There was a lot of tears that night. But one thing I can tell you, these older sisters are still praying for these young sisters. Even to this day. Even they're just praying. So if you want someone to pray for you, invite them over. <laughs> invite them. They will pray for you forever. <clears throat> Even coming to the conference here, right? We have the older ones. So I just sometimes when I have to travel, I told you before, I just let some of the older ones in Anaheim know, you know, such and such, sister, we're traveling now. Brother Mark New and I are going to the southeast for a conference there. I know they're praying for us. It's not us. It really is the prayer. We're just one. Sometimes they have just an equal part in this conference as we do because of their faithful prayers to the Lord. <clears throat> so, we are not immune to these kind of things. 
there is the proving of our faith. The preciousness is the proving. We already saw in the last point, we have the precious faith. But Peter brings out in this point, the preciousness is the proving. <clears throat> this is why it was so good in the winter training. I believe it was the second message that the brothers put together God's government with God's economy. That the Lord comes to us in his government, in his righteousness, to deal with us in a righteous way, in a way of discipline. For what reason? Not that we could be discouraged. Not that we could be overly burdened. Not that we could be what? <clears throat> just apathetic but that we could partake of his holiness. We have the opportunity to participate in God's divinity. We have the right to partake of all the New Testament bequests, all the riches of the New Testament, even God himself. But poor us, we don't take that opportunity. And so we need the Lord's government to help us, to nudge us on, Right? To what? To take the opportunity to enjoy Christ. <clears throat> this is why the older ones can tell you sometimes <clears throat> the Lord, as we practice in our Christian life to give something to the Lord, the Lord has given something to us monetarily and we give something to the Lord. <clears throat> and sometimes, many of our experiences are, you can ask the older ones, <clears throat> Maybe this month, I can't give anything to the Lord. I can't give anything to the Lord. Just look at this, look at this, look at this, look at this. I just can't give. So, Lord, I won't give. Second month comes, oh, uh, by the way, I still can't give. And this <clears throat> third month comes along. Our car that's only two years old, all of a sudden, something breaks in it. What happened to it? It just stops. We don't understand. We take it to the shop because we need a car. The cumulative amount that we pay to repair the car is what we could have given. So, you didn't give, the Lord took it. <laughs> Brother Lee said that sometimes the dollar bills sprout wings. Fly away, just fly away. It's uncanny how the Lord can do that. Almost the exact amount that you would have given, you had to give to Mr. Mechanic. Oh, how poor. I'm not saying, I'm not superstitious by saying that if you would have given, your car would not have broken down. Don't, don't you know, you, you don't surmise that. <clears throat> but I am saying that this is an exercise of a little bit of God's government, <clears throat> that we could partake of him. And this is actually spoken... Peter is marvelous in that, <clears throat> in that, well, I have the outline here. I'd just like to read <clears throat> the central focus and basic structure of First and Second Peter are the energizing triune God operating in his economy to bring his chosen ones into the full enjoyment of the triune God. Listen to this. Everything concerning God's government should bring us back to the central focus and basic structure of these epistles, that is, the triune God as our full enjoyment. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> God's governmental hand comes to us. For what reason? 
It's not a threat. But the reason is that we could participate in God's divinity. Because of who we are, we don't take the initiative. Right? Everything's available to us. Yet, we're lazy. We don't exercise. So consequently, all the riches of God are available to us, but they're not applied to us. But when something happens, oh Lord Jesus, oh Lord Jesus, oh Lord Jesus, oh Lord Jesus. Lots of oh Lord Jesuses, right? That helps us to participate. Maybe with the oh Lord Jesus will come more things. Oh Lord, how about the meetings? Oh Lord, how about this? Oh Lord, how about that? In Hebrews chapter 12, you can just write this reference down. Verses 9 and 10, the author alludes to the same thing. Talking about our fathers in the flesh, for they discipline for a few days as it seemed good to them, but he, this is Christ, for what is profitable that we might partake of his holiness. The discipline, God's government comes that we could partake of his holiness. This is the goal. Then you see here in this one verse the two points God's government and God's holiness. You have God's government and also our partaking of the triune God. So in the proving of our faith, God's goal, even through the trials, even through the things that, we come, that come to us, God's goal is that we would be those who partake of his holiness. And this is why the things come up. Then, verse 11 says, Now no discipline at the present time seems to be a matter of joy, but of grief. But afterwards it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been exercised by it. This is what we do. So all the things that come upon us, we have to believe are the Lord's hands and allowed by the Lord. That what? Not to discourage us. That would motivate us. Right? <clears throat> that would compel us to be partakers of His holiness. What is this? To be partakers of the divine nature. What is this? This means to enjoy all the bequests. The Lord is compelling us. Right? <clears throat> he is compelling us that we could enjoy him as everything. <clears throat> it's, it, seems, it, seems, uh, it seems this is unusual that we would have to be compelled to enjoy. But actually, this is what happens. Why? Because even though we regenerated, we still live in our old man. And our old man <clears throat> is not one that likes to enjoy all the riches of the triune God. So the Lord has to do something. Right? Everything is arranged. Don't think one thing is not arranged. <clears throat> Everything is arranged. Obviously, we have to believe <clears throat> if we do things in an unwise way, if you walk out the street and you go onto Interstate 85 and you challenge God, I won't be hit by a car, that, that's, that's just ignorance. You don't do that. You know, oh, okay, you know, so I got hit by a car, so this is arranged by God. I don't know. I think that's just part of your ignorance. <laughs> you shouldn't do that. <clears throat> At the same time, 
we pursue the Lord. And as we pursue the Lord and as we love the Lord to whatever degree, some things happen to us. What will we do? Well, the Lord is helping us to partake of his holiness. <clears throat> then we go on to see <clears throat> um, that in Romans chapter 8, and I would just read this one verse to you. <clears throat> uh, Romans chapter 8, it speaks about all things working together. We also have to believe this because in Romans 8, let's see what verse is that, brothers. Yeah, verse 28. We know that all things work together. All things. All things. It doesn't say all the good things. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. As we love God, all things work together for good. I know when we read this, we just say, wow, the church life, we should have this, we should be this, we should, this should come to us. But we read it in this way. This is how we read it. And we know that all things work good together to those who love God and to those who were called according to his purpose. It doesn't say that. It says, and we know that all things work together for good. Who's good? God's good. <laughs> it may not be our good, but it's God's good. And what is God's good? God's good is that he would rot Christ into us. And sometimes it takes the various trials and sufferings <clears throat> to rot Christ into us. We shouldn't be afraid. Don't be afraid of going on in the Christian life. Actually, we have no choice. We have to go on. We don't have any choice. We must go on in the Christian life. But as we go on and as we walk, we shouldn't be afraid. We should just go with the Lord, in the Lord and in the body. Right? <clears throat> and as we do that, all the things will come. But if we are those who love God and enjoy the divine portion available to us, what happens? All things will work together for good. That means for transformation, <clears throat> that we could eventually become the bride of Christ. Then, <clears throat> if we come, how about we just come to Roman number chapter 8? Excuse me, Roman number 8, how about we read that together? Okay? We must redeem the time. Then you have all these marvelous verses, <clears throat> but we have to redeem the time to enjoy Christ. Amen. I probably say this each time that I'm here. <clears throat> Not only should we read the Bible every day, we should read the Bible every day. Every day. Don't let one day go by without reading the Bible. I don't say this in a demeaning way, but I say this in a very practical way. <clears throat> Sometimes our problem with, as college students of getting up in the morning is that we go to bed quite late at night. In fact, it's already past night. It's early morning. <clears throat> well, I give you two suggestions. And the first suggestion is this, get up early. No matter what time you went to bed, get up early. Just get up early. You may have gone to bed at such and such an hour, you just get up early. I guarantee you, that night, you'll go to bed early. 
You don't have to worry about someone telling you, go to bed early, go to bed early. Just get up early. Set your alarm clock. Just have the exercise of early rising. There's no such time so good as early morning. I know that the two words, college students and early morning, are not synonymous at all. This is something I'm sure at UGA and at all the colleges, 8 o'clock classes are so unpopular, right? <clears throat> but sometimes those, were the, those are the best professors. <laughs> they teach those classes. Okay, <clears throat> get up early. I know life of a college student, 11.30 or 11, <clears throat> life begins at 9 p.m. at night <clears throat> for everybody. So I would just suggest, what do you do this week? Just get up early. By the time night comes, you will be tired. There's a certain law in this universe that we have to follow. This law in the universe also was the law of our body, our physical body. We have to follow this law. Okay. Second thing is, and I'm not saying this facetiously, but I'm saying this because this is our experience, When do you read the Bible? Well, it's very good to read it in the morning, but I also would say read it at night. If you have a problem falling asleep, read the Bible. You may say, well, I'm going to fall asleep. That's very good. At least you fall asleep on time. And then when you sleep, you're not haunted by all these dreams and imaginations and wishes and desires and things from the day. That's just awful. You're there as you read the Bible, right before you fall asleep. You're thinking about, wow, about Joshua. You're thinking about Jeremiah. You're thinking about David. You're thinking about just the portion that you had read. The Bible just washes us. It sanctifies us. To tell you the truth, it gives you a good rest. It's so much better than being online at night, chatting with everybody in the whole universe. What do you think about when you lay down? You think about nonsense, vanity. Open the Bible. That's true. You may fall asleep. You may fall asleep at the beginning. Fifteen minutes, you're out. That's okay. At least you got 15 minutes of the Word. As you keep doing that, you'll increase. And pretty soon, 20 minutes, half an hour, right? You'll be there reading. And that just becomes part of your habit. What? This is the, this actually, this is the best way to sleep on the whole earth, right? Just to read the Word of God. And then you will sleep. And then your thoughts are just on God's word. So get up early. Number one, at nighttime, read the Bible. Okay, then not only should we read the Bible, but we would encourage you to read the life study messages and read the word, uh, read the ministry messages. This would be very, 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 very good. I believe in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, there are over 1,900. Is that right, Vern? I think 1,900. Huh? 1,984 life study messages. If you would read 1,984 life study messages, my goodness, you will be a different person. You will be a different person. We guarantee you. Even after 50, you will be different. Something will transpire within you. You just can't believe. You just can't believe. Something will, will, will happen. <clears throat> okay, I just encourage you. I just encourage you, put yourself on a little schedule. You just read. Don't think 
that the college students that you have limited amount of time, I realize that some of you are very pressed for time. But as college students, the one thing we have to learn is how to use our time. And there's no other time, I know we sound like a broken record, but there is no other time in human life when you have the most time as when you were a college student. You ask all the working ones, my goodness, time is very, very precious. So you have the time. <clears throat> it takes, on an average, my estimation, it takes on an average 22 minutes to read a life study message. Some messages are longer, some are shorter. Right? <clears throat> but it takes an average of... Let me ask you, don't you have 22 minutes during the day? Who here does not have 22 minutes during the day where you can read something? We read something anyway. We think about something anyway, right? <clears throat> we text. How many text messages do you have on your phone? My goodness. So don't we have 22 minutes just to read? You just read consecutive. 120 life study messages. Those of you who read, if you want to start, start with Genesis. Oh, my goodness. You will love the Lord so immensely. I'll tell you the, <clears throat> a little something personal in the life study of Genesis. <clears throat> We happened to be in the Lord's recovery during that time when Brother Lee was given the life study of Genesis in 1974. I also was a college student at that time, and we went to all the life study messages of Genesis. I couldn't remember that much, but I just remember going there, plopping down in the chair, being tired, being exhausted, just being revived afterwards. And wow, after that, I could really study. For an hour and a half, whatever, I could just study. It just was so reviving. <clears throat> okay. So then the life studies came up. While I was there in the life study, <clears throat> when I was in my 30s, I read the life study of Genesis again. And I saw something brand new. When I was in my 40s, I read the life study of Genesis again. Wow, it became newer. I can't believe it. I just can't believe it. And so then, <clears throat> a couple years ago, I just kind of breezed through it again. Each time you read it, the lessons, the revelation, the things that are there in life study are so real and so applicable. You could fall in love with Genesis. I think Genesis now are available. You can just purchase it online through Living Stream. You can hear Brother Lee, you know, now I'm getting into the MP3. Is that what it's called, MP, those little MP3 things? <clears throat> I'm, I'm becoming more... Um, what is it? Tech savvy, technical savvy. Actually, my, 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 my boys do it for me, right? They, they put everything on, they just give it to me, and they say, Dad, push this button and plug it in your ear. That's good. <laughs> so long, I can do that. I don't know how to turn it off, so sometimes it repeats, and you know, I have this one message that just keeps repeating. <laughs> I'm not sure how to do it. I've got to find out how to get to the next message here. <clears throat> But this is, I'm, can you believe it? I'm listening to Genesis again. Life study Genesis number 12. Wow. It's amazing. I was laughing so much. You know, because you can hear Billy speaking, and when you read the life studies, there's, there's sometimes a difference. You can't, they can't put everything in the life study messages. It is so good. I was just, you know, I just, it was just so entertaining. <clears throat> it's... Um, <clears throat> Well, let me, let me just tell you. You know, in the full-time training there, we have a class, a uh, Saturday morning video class, where all the trainees are all together, and they, we, 
they listen to one portion of Brother Lee speaking through video. <clears throat> I think when Mark was in the training there, all the Saturday morning classes were the high peak of the divine revelation, which was really excellent. But to understand the high peak of the divine revelation, you need the basis of the life study messages. Otherwise, <clears throat> it's not so easy to grasp. So in our consideration, we thought we owe the trainees, you know, because many of the trainees have never seen Brother Lee. That's so hard to believe, but it is really the case. And so we owe these ones at least the opportunity to see Brother Lee. <clears throat> and so we decided to show um, <clears throat> Brother Lee speaking from the 70s, the 80s, and the 90s in two years. And so last year, we got through with Brother Lee speaking in the 70s. And we, prayed, we played, um, <clears throat> I believe it was 30 messages on the life study of Ephesians in 1978 in July. And Brother Lee was so charming. You could hear the trainees just laugh and laugh and laugh. Because Brother Lee in the 90s, when he was given the high peak of the divine revelation, he had to sit there, and every word that was released was careful. He had to use all his breath to just utter something, right? <clears throat> but there, when he was younger, in his 70s, and when he was younger, <clears throat> he was so, he was like a tiger. Just like a tiger. Just so strong and just speaking. <clears throat> and so it was so, and this is how we saw Brother Lee in, in, in those years. I just So one example he was giving is talking about uh, Ephesians, about the Ephesians 1, verses 3 through 14, about the blessing of the triune God and the Father's selection and predestination, the Son's redemption, and the Spirit's sealing and pledging. At that point in time, a lot of the young people were writing songs, and most of the songs that we wrote were all about psalms, you know, psalms from the book of Psalms. We put so many... We put uh, this psalm into tune, this psalm into tune. This. If you have some of the old <clears throat> cassette um, tapes, you can listen to some of those songs. And so Brother Lee knew that, and then so he said, well, you young people are writing songs, you know, and then he actually went like this. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. His mercy endures forever. <laughs> you know, that was so entertaining. Then he goes on to say, he said, well, that's not bad to say his mercy endures forever. But that's not much revelation. If a dog could talk, the dog will also hear his mercy endures forever. You know? Why not write a song on Ephesians 3? Write some songs. Then he goes, blessed, blessed be the God, blessed be the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all the heavens in Christ. <laughs> It was so funny. It was so funny. <laughs> it was so entertaining to see Brother Lee. We just loved it. It just was, you know, you can't put that in Life Study of Ephesians, right? <laughs> I would just encourage you. We have a wealth of treasure. <clears throat> don't, don't listen to, I don't know, you know, I, I suppose that these days you can... Um, you can put a lot of things on those little MP3 players. Don't, don't listen to the junky stuff. It just makes you live a vain manner of life and have vain thoughts. Just among your things, among your library there, 
in your MP3 player, add some of these life studies. And just by walking, just by driving, just doing whatever you want, just listen to them, and you will see something will happen within you. You will see something will happen. I guarantee you. I just guarantee you. <clears throat> life study of Genesis are like that. The life study of Exodus, there's 184 messages in Exodus. You have to read that twice. But at least you have to read it once. But my goodness. Then Leviticus. Oh my goodness, Leviticus. Life study of Leviticus. I've repented more through the life study of Leviticus than almost every other life study message. It is so detailed in its explanation of sin. It is in Leviticus. And the numbers, my God, you can see God's move in numbers. You just see, and you see the lessons of rebellion. You see, what we have gone through in the Lord's recovery in this country is already found in, the, in numbers. The principles, the lessons, and the solutions are all there in numbers. In Deuteronomy, you have a re-speaking, a re-speaking of all the things of the divine revelation up to that point of time. Right? Then Joshua judges Ruth. Then you have the Lord's beginning to move through some of these. All these lives. Then you get to the major prophets. You get to the minor prophets. The minor prophets just reveal there's a great unveiling of Christ. All of the Lord's processes are found in the minor prophets. From his, from his birth all the way through his resurrection. Are just there. They're found there. Ascension, his enthronement, his return are all there in the minor prophets. Full of Christ. You can just see Christ from Genesis to Malachi. Sometimes some of those life study messages in the minor prophets are some of my favorite life study messages. Right? They're just so enjoyable, so sweet, and so rich. Don't worry about trying to get everything. You don't get everything the first time. You have to do it again. You read it again. And this is why we have to come to the conferences again and again and again. We hear the same thing, we hear the same words, but one day it dawns on us. Oh, that's what God's economy means. It doesn't mean euro dollars. It doesn't mean this. It doesn't mean that. This is what it means. It just begins to light on. It just, the light just shines. This is why we need the speaking again and again and again. This is why we open up the word on Friday night about the unveiling, right? The Lord always unveils us. He just unveils us to see who he is. So <clears throat> actually the entire life study of the Old Testament and New Testament is a rich unveiling of Christ. And when Christ is unveiled, it's a rich eating. To me, all these 1900 messages, 1976 you said? 1984 messages are just a rich feast. They are feast after feast after feast unveiling Christ. When you read the life study messages, <clears throat> you don't get attracted to Brother Lee. You get attracted to Christ. He leads you to Christ. Amen. He doesn't lead you to himself. He leads you to Christ. And then you have the collected works of Watchman Nee. Wow, how many volumes are that? We're in 64, I believe. 63, 64, 65 volumes of Watchman Nee. And these are just ones we have in print, right? So many more that he spoke that we don't have in print. We have a lot of riches to occupy us. <clears throat> I hope somebody would put the, in the entire recovery version, Old and New Testament, with footnotes on an MP3 player one time. Wouldn't that be good? Just listen to the verse and then listen to the footnote. Fill. We have to fill our being. <clears throat> Don't try to not stay away from the world in that sense. You'll only be successful for a little over a day and a half. As soon as you get back... You have to fill yourself with something else. You have to fill yourself with Christ. 
So when you have your earphones in, I hope you're not just listening to things that go boom, 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 boom. Listen to something <clears throat> that is worthwhile, that is profitable, that causes us to love Christ. Even order the CD and just even listen to the songs. Just one little song may turn you back to the Lord, right? <clears throat> the other thing that I'd like to tell you <clears throat> is we shouldn't, even last night's, even last night's word uh, the, on the outline, it says the way to partake of the divine nature is to call on the Lord and to pray, read the word. We should never discount these two. Calling on the Lord is not just a practice to us. Calling on the Lord is part of our life. And I would just encourage you, if you don't have this habit of calling on the Lord, to practice this, especially first thing in the morning. First thing in the morning, don't get Starbucks. Mr. Starbucks has too much money. I told you this already, right? <clears throat> I can't even understand the words in Starbucks, one on the menu. If I have to go there, I buy the cheapest thing, coffee. It just says coffee, right? Doesn't it say coffee? Maybe regular coffee. I don't know what it is, just coffee. <clears throat> but normally, my wife and I, we just get a can of Folgers. That's about the same cost as one of the, um, like, Kappa, what are, yeah, cappuccinos or... Latinos or whatever that is. I don't know what that is. But it's about the same price. And, and it, it works for us for a whole month. We can save that money. We don't have to give it to Mr. Starbucks. We can give it to the Lord's interest, for the Lord's interest. I know it maybe doesn't taste as good. and as it, <clears throat> That's okay. It's something. <clears throat> so, when we... When you, what was my point here? When you listen, right, <clears throat> be careful. I mean, put something that is profitable. <clears throat> when you call on the Lord, the best time to call on the Lord is early in the morning when you wake up. Begin to call. If you have a hard time, I would say set your stopwatch. Try. Try it for three minutes. Try it for three Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord. Our problem sometimes comes because we call on the Lord superficially. We just consider the practice. Okay, I did my calling. Oh, Lord Jesus. 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 Okay, done. That, that's not calling. That's just vain kind of repeating. No, calling is to call from the deepest part of our being. We're tired in the morning. Oh, Lord Jesus, I'm tired. Oh, Lord Jesus, I love you. Oh, Lord Jesus, I need you. Oh, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. Lord, I love you. Why not? You will be surprised how long three minutes are when you call on the Lord. Wow, three minutes doesn't seem like a long time, but when you're calling the Lord, it's a long time. Exercise to call on the Lord for the entire three minutes. Then go up five minutes. You will see what kind of difference it will make within you. You may not, try to, you may not hit the well at one minute, 
But four and a half minutes after calling, something will start rising up within you. It may not be dynamic, but it's something there. And you just touch the Lord with him. Oh, Lord Jesus, oh, until what? Until we really do love the Lord. We really do contact the Lord. This is a very, very simple yet effective key to contact the Lord. We should not minimize it, right? <clears throat> Calling the Lord, especially when we first wake up. We wake up in the morning, wake up early in the morning, <clears throat> whatever time we wake up, the first thing we do, not to take care of other things, but to call on the Lord's dear name. Then as we call on the Lord's name, we should take the word. We should take the word and exercise over the word. <clears throat> we just exercise. You know, for example, <clears throat> in 2 Peter 1, 4, don't just pray read this way, through which he has granted to us. Amen. Granted to us. Amen. I mean, what he granted to us? I'm not sure what it was. <clears throat> he granted to us precious precious and exceeding great promises. I wonder what promises those are. Amen. He granted to us precious and exceeding great promises. Amen. Great promises that through these you might become partakers of the divine nature. Hmm. I wonder if that's really the case. Partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption which is in the world by lust. Oh Lord Jesus. I don't think I can do that. <clears throat> oh Lord Jesus. <laughs> then somebody comes. Did you pray read? I pray read. That's not pray reading. You might as well just read the Atlanta Constitution. Oh, yes, this presidential, uh-huh, yeah, I agree with that. I don't agree with that. I think that's okay, yes. I can believe it can do that. It's the same thing. We come to the Word. Again, let me tell you, <clears throat> sometimes we get into a difficult situation in our spiritual life because we don't eat properly. We have to learn to take the word and chew. Chew the word. If you don't know how to do that, call Daniel. Call somebody. Daniel, come up here. <clears throat> you know. We've done this before. Maybe not Daniel and I, but we've done, in principle, we've done this before. When we're just learning how to pray read. Sometimes by ourselves, we're just in our mind, we're tired, we have a headache. We just had an exam, we're discouraged, we're this, somebody called, we're unhappy, these kind of things. So we just kind of go through the motions of prayer reading. Then we say we pray read. And then we feel like there's no supply during the day because we haven't gotten the supply. So it's very good to practice, to exercise. Exercise to pray read, okay? How about Daniel, you want to just, just to pray read? <clears throat> How about that you you might become partakers of the divine nature. Okay, <clears throat> So I'm there by myself. I'm trying to get into the Word, and I feel like I'm not succeeding. I call Daniel. I call James. I call another brother. Okay, Daniel, please pray read with me. It really is. One time I was prayer reading uh, from First Peter about the milk of the Word, you know, desiring the milk of the Word. I got so nourished by this word milk. I just kept repeating, milk, oh, milk, oh, milk, oh, milk. It was so nourishing. I was driving that day, and I saw the bulletin board, milk does the body good. <laughs> I said, milk, milk, oh, milk. I just, I just re-ate it again. I re-ate it again. You know, thank you, Dan. You know, the word to eat, the Lord said to eat me, you all know the word is to masticate. That just means <clears throat> swallow. I noticed the brothers last night, right? 
uh, my goodness, uh, when the brothers eat, it's not mastication, it's swallowing. It may be inhaling. <laughs> you know, we used to have brothers come over, you know, young brothers come over to our house, and my wife and I would have a little side joke, you know, <clears throat> uh, be prepared tonight that the locusts are coming, you know. Um, everything will be eaten. Now, don't worry, we can, we can set everything out. <clears throat> it's, I, I'm, I'm not saying this in a disparaging way, uh, but it's just the constitution, the nature of brothers. It's not just so much the quality as it is the, quali- uh, the quantity, you know. As long as it's got a lot of quantity, all the brothers are happy, right? <clears throat> just a swarm of locusts. The sisters are more fine. Um, <clears throat> that's just their nature, you know. They don't need as much. They're all watching their weight. Uh, <clears throat> brothers don't care about weight, you know. So long the food is there and I feel happy and satisfied, I'm happy. <clears throat> okay. So, dear sisters, the way to our brother's heart is through his stomach. <clears throat> okay, <clears throat> so we pray, read in this way. We just pray, read. We just pray, we just enjoy. Chew, chew. And then when you chew the word like this, what happens? You have to, as, as, a, as a mastication, sometimes that word comes back up in our, in our being. It's a regurgitation of the divine word. That's why milk becomes so nervous. When you pray read, when you get into the prayer reading, a word, a phrase will come up. Sometimes it's good to have a little card or write it, put it on your PDA or put it on your phone. Write a little verse that you enjoy. And then when you turn your phone on, you have the verse right there. And you just take it again a little bit. You just eat a little bit of it. When you go between classes, eat a little bit again. You will see what kind of difference it makes. Then when the Lord touches you to speak to someone, you have the supply. It's not a problem. It's not an effort. You have the supply. You just have this. Something flows out of you. Why? Because you're nourished. You're nourished. If you're not nourished, then everything. Bobby, come here. I need, I need some Bob. I need help from Bobby. <clears throat> you know, Bobby's a lot bigger than I. He's a lot stronger than I. <clears throat> it just would take one little punch, and I'm, I'm down. I'm on the floor. I, I realize that. <clears throat> Um, but I tell you what, the way I can beat Bobby is this. Uh, I will tell Jessica, his dear wife, Jessica, do not feed Bobby for five days. <laughs> do not feed him five. No water, no drink, anything. And Bobby, then Bobby and I will have a competition. <laughs> All I have to do is just go. Bobby's down, right? <clears throat> this is exactly the same way with us. Five days without food. No wonder the enemy, we just, and the enemy can push us over. Why? Because we don't eat. I know Bobby likes to eat. Right, Bobby? I do. (laughs) Norman and I saw Bobby last night. I just exposed Bobby. The brothers were going through the line, and he had already gone through the line, and he had his food in his hand. And I think he was going to probably eat, and he was still standing in line. So I think by the time he got to the line again, he would be done with his first serving. (laughs) I don't know if this is the case, but, you know, Bobby was standing. That's quite unique. He wasn't sitting down. He was standing in line. He was getting ready for seconds. But he was going to eat his first in line. That's the nature of brothers. (laughs) 
if we would eat, if we would take the opportunity to pray read, even learn how to pray read with somebody, just pray read, chew the word, and then keep the word, keep what you enjoyed with you that, that day, and rechew it again, rechew it again, rechew it. You will see what a difference it makes in you over your, your day. Just that little bit. Then when the evening, when that appointment comes with someone, or when that evening time comes for the meeting, you will be energized. You may not be an overcomer, but you will be energized at least to get to that meeting, right? Just by taking in the word a little bit every day. <clears throat> I like to say a word to the older ones, to the serving ones, and some of you, the college students who like to do this. <clears throat> you actually need two revivals every day. The morning is one, but absolutely you need a second one during the daytime, during the afternoon. You must have that. Otherwise, you cannot face the things that will transpire in the evening. You must have an afternoon time with the Lord. Sometimes it's the hardest thing to do, to find time. You have to make time, 15, 20 minutes, where you have your time with the Lord. Another time with the Lord. You put everything else aside. Even if you're on the campus, you just find a place. You walk. You just open to pray, read something else. I'll give you a little secret. For a number of years, I've been practicing this. I take my New Testament, my afternoon time, my afternoon revival, I take the New Testament for my afternoon revival. I don't know if revival is the right word, but my afternoon time with the Lord. I just start from Matthew, and I go all the way to Revelation. I just pray read every single verse. Again, I'm, I'm almost done. I'm on Revelation 21 now. Again, I don't know how many times I've done it. I just take it little by little. little. I don't have to think about what am I going to get into, morning revival, that one. I just take the word and just... I'm looking forward to going back to Matthew again. Ooh, I just can't wait. Matthew 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. Wow, 8, the kingdom, the constitution of the kingdom people. Just to pray, read, a little by little, little by little. Just that little time is a nourishment, right? And then when I have to see the saints in the evening, I'm supplied. I'm just a, but you have to fight for that time. Everything comes into the afternoon to take away your time. Fight for it. Fight for your right to participate in God's divinity. <clears throat> this not only goes for, <clears throat> right, this is for the college student, but I say especially the working ones, especially the serving ones. Find a time on the way home. Find a time to exercise, to come to the Lord, right? <clears throat> okay, so these two words, just about calling on the Lord's name and prayer reading, we shouldn't discount this, that this is, we know this, that we, <clears throat> we may know it, but this is really the secret of what? <clears throat> the secret of partaking of Christ, who is the divine one, the divine nature. We can partake of the divine things by pray reading, by praying and calling on the Lord. You will see. Your afternoon time with the Lord, you will be nourished. The Lord may always lead you to pray for someone. And it turns out that sometimes you will see that someone that night or the next day. Recently, my wife and I, I had some time with the Lord in the afternoon. <clears throat> she was there. Afterwards, we just had some time to pray. We were just praying. By the way, husbands and wife, you have to pray together. You just have to pray together. <clears throat> I know it's not easy with children, different things, but the Lord always meets you when you pray together. Why? Because you become the joint heirs of the grace of life. The grace of life is unique in the New Testament. So we were praying. Just give you one illustration. The Lord led us to pray for a particular person, a particular sister. We're just praying for her. We're just praying for her. 
And you know, it's interesting, when we begin to pray, at this one of the particular times when we were praying, my wife and I, <clears throat> the home phone rang, started ringing. Her cell phone rang, my cell phone rang, all when we were praying. I told her, forget about it, don't answer anything. We were contacting the Lord, we were touching the throne, forget about it, let it ring, let it ring. She said, but honey, what if the kids? The kids can wait. If they're dying, they'll be in the hospital, it's okay, just wait. <clears throat> I know I'm mean, but when it comes to contacting the triune God, nothing else. <clears throat> when my kids were small, I would have a little office or a, little, or a bedroom, and they all knew that when Daddy was in the room and the door was closed, do not disturb. He is with God. They knew. They just knew. Don't come in. Don't disturb. They just knew. When my door was closed in my room or in my office, nobody comes in. Nobody disturbs. That time, you cannot replace that time. If I miss that time during the day, I feel like I miss God. So we were there, the phone rang. One time we were praying, and somebody knocked on the door. Forget about it. I said, don't answer it. Don't answer it. If it's a saint, they'll come back. But most of the times, a demon knocks on the door. They just ask about, you know, would you like this or would you like Forget about that. That just distracts you. So we were praying that particular time. And we're praying for a sister. Then we get done praying. A few minutes later, the phone rings. She picked up the phone. Lo and behold, it was that sister. She called. She just called. And we just were able to have a little bit of fellowship with her. This is one small example. When we are with the Lord, nothing else is more important. To have that time with the Lord, right? <clears throat> Put aside everything else. <clears throat> Even if... You're in a gigantic earthquake. If you have your time with the Lord, the earthquake will, will, there, will be there and it will subside. Just continue your time with the Lord. That's why I appreciate, Brother Lee, in all the trainings, <clears throat> in all the years, beginning 1974 till he went to be with the Lord in 1997, there was a training every summer and every winter. I felt like even if the world physically began to turn the other direction, spin the other direction and northern hemisphere would become the southern hemisphere instantaneously I think Brother Lee would still have a training it didn't matter it didn't matter because the word was so rich to be dispensed okay <clears throat> okay here we go then then the last part we read this <clears throat> we are there to enjoy him through prayer reading through, through praying through reading again by calling by prayer reading in this way, brothers and sisters, we will become his personal treasure. Amen. Wow. God is our treasure, and we become his personal treasure. In these verses, Daniel was called preciousness, a man of preciousness. I don't know about you, but when I see the Lord, I surely would like the Lord to say, man of preciousness. But we don't become a man of preciousness today unless we are infused adequately with the precious one. So we become his personal treasure <clears throat> You know, this is why he's the sealing and pledging spirit. <clears throat> As the sealing spirit, he, pledge, he seals us with himself, guaranteeing that he would inherit us, right? And then as the pledging spirit, <clears throat> he pledges himself to us, guaranteeing that we would inherit him. God inherits us, and we inherit him as the sealing and pledging spirit. He pledges himself to us, and he seals us. The ownership is now, we are, his, we, we are owned by him. He wants to make us a personal treasure. And that's why in Exodus, in this verse reference in 19, verse 5, 
Verse 4 says, I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, that means enjoy me, keep the new covenant, then you shall be my personal treasure from among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. Wow. At the end of our life, what a resume. Mark mentioned, somebody mentioned resume. What a resume to have. Nothing, I didn't do that much in the world, I didn't accomplish that much, I didn't win this, I didn't win that, I wasn't that smart, but I became a personal treasure to the triune God. Wow. That's great. That's what I would like to be the personal treasure of the triune. As we live in his precious presence, and this is found in 2 Corinthians 2.10, where it says that we live in the index of his eyes. We don't see the Lord face to face, but we see the Lord in our spirit and in our heart. And we live in the index of his eyes. Then as we live in such an index of his eyes, he infuses all of himself. Isn't it marvelous that God in his creation, right, made eyes? Just think, if I was just here right now, and I had a face, and I had nose, and I had a mouth, but no eyes, you know, that would be strange. The, the face is there, but the eyes really reflect the person. You know by my eyes whether I like Francisco or whether I don't like him. You can just tell by the eyes. We are those who observe the Lord to such an extent in such intimacy that we can see the Lord in his eyes. <clears throat> Our brother used an illustration from this about a couple who've been married for a number of years. They just communicate just through their eyes. They can just tell. They can just, the husband and the wife knows one another so well, and they just communicate through the eyes. Sometimes you don't have to do anything. Just the eyes know yes or no. Just the eyes know yes or no. Yes or no, do this or do that. It's just, it's just there. And it's the same way with the triune God in ourselves, right? We like to know the Lord intimately and personally. We are just those who are looking into his eyes. And as we look into his eyes, we know what makes him happy and what doesn't make him happy. So the next time you're thinking about where to go, you're going someplace, what to listen to, what to watch, were to surf on, you look at the Lord's eyes. Lord Jesus, I turn to you right now. Are you happy to watch this? Lord, what do you say? The Lord will answer you. The Lord will answer you, right? You check with him. Lord, what do you say? Are you happy with this, Lord? Are you happy with where I'm going? What do you say, Lord? You just look in his eyes, and the Lord through his eyes will tell you if he's happy or not happy. This is all our experience. Okay, then enjoying him is our portion, even as he enjoys us as his treasure. We can be his portion, and we can be, he can be our portion, and we can be his treasure. Then he, through this, he builds himself into us to make us a spiritual house, and his holy word, holy and royal priesthood for the accomplishment of his heart's desire. I think in conclusion, how about we just read all the Roman numerals together, okay? <clears throat> we just read the title, and then let's read all the Roman numerals together. <clears throat> okay, go. The supreme preciousness of Christ in First and Second Peter. The believers in 
Christ should have a change in their concept of value. Christ himself is the preciousness to his believers. The precious stone for God's building is Christ himself. The precious blood of Christ has redeemed us from our vain manner of life. The precious and exceeding great promises have been granted to us by our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. God has allotted to all the believers equally precious faith. The precious proving of our faith is by various trials that come through suffering. We must redeem the time to enjoy Christ as the supreme preciousness of God, so that we can be constituted with Him to be men of preciousness as His personal treasure, as we live in His precious presence, enjoying Him as our portion, even as He enjoys us as His treasure. He builds Himself into us to make us His spiritual house, and his holy and royal priesthood for the accomplishment of his heart's desire. Amen. Very good. <clears throat> okay, how about we just take a minute to pray with those next to us so that Vern will instruct us what we should do.